Well, our topic today is infertility, reproductive technology, and adoption. <clears throat> infertility is, just to give you a definition, it's the inability to conceive and bear children due to a lack of normal function in either the man's or the woman's reproductive system. Modern medical developments provide several solutions for infertility, and so it's appropriate as we're looking into this wider topic of marriage, um, according to Wayne Grudem's book, How He Lays It Out, it's appropriate to consider these as we deal with that topic. So I want us to also look at adoption briefly. Uh, I'm, we may not get through this all in one week, and then we have three weeks at Mount Pleasant where there will be no Sunday school class, so it might be a month you know, doing part two, but we'll see. I'm looking for all kinds of interaction. So at any point, you know, but... Um, one, number one, if you look at your hand, infertility in the, in the Old and New Testaments, infertility has been a source of deep sorrow for both men and women, but especially for women, as we read in the Bible, for all of human history, as we see from some of the early chapters of the Bible. Just any, any just like, who is infertile? Just name me a few names in, in the biblical story. Sarah. Sarah. Hannah. Yeah. Hannah, yes, Sarah. Who is, who is Sarah married to? And what was the child that she bore? What was his name? Isaac. Very good. And then somebody said Hannah. She was the mother of who? Samuel. Very good. You guys are great. Uh, who, another, can you name another matriarch? The patriarchs all kind of had fertility issues, it seemed. Interesting. Jacob's oh, wife. Rachel. Rachel. Very good. Yeah. She was unable to bear children for a long time after her marriage to Jacob. Um, you get a gold star for this one. Samson's mother, the wife of Manoah. Uh, yeah. You guys would be Old Testament scholars if you got that one. In the New Testament, can you think of right off the bat in Luke's Gospel, there's infertility? Oh, exactly. Who was her husband? Zechariah. Yep, and then their child was? John the Baptist. So we read this, Zechariah and Elizabeth had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years, as Luke 1, 7. But again, uh, through God's miraculous intervention, Elizabeth eventually gave birth to John the Baptist. I'll ask what you think of this in a second, but I think these examples show that overcoming infertility is something that pleases God, and is often, manif and is often a manifestation of a special blessing on a couple when they are able to overcome infertility. The broad teaching of the Bible is that children are a great blessing from God. We looked at that last week. Because of the consistent force of these biblical passages, I think it's right to consider infertility as something that we should seek to overcome with the confidence that God is pleased with such efforts. Infertility should not be something about which we are indifferent, such as the color of our hair or eyes but rather something we see as a condition that is another result of the fall. One of the diseases and disabilities that entered the human race after Adam and Eve sinned. Infertility was not part of God's good creation as he originally made it or intended it to function. What say you? Is that a, is that a sound hypothesis moving forward? Because if it's not, we're in trouble. Because <laughs> everything's, I mean, you can disagree, that's fine. But we're going to be, everything I'm saying is based on that. I think I need to qualify what you're saying. You're not necessarily saying that um, it should be overcome through biological means only, right? Like this can be overcome. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna be looking at the different means that people overcome infertility, and is it morally, is it ethically pro- appropriate for Christians mm-hmm. to do that? And some, I would say, I would say, yes, that is medicinally that is appropriate. It's ethical. Some would say definitely that's not. So that's what we're going to be kind of looking at today, which, which one is which. So then what you're saying then is that uh, if, you, if either spouse, for instance, finds out that they're, in, uh, they're struggling with infertility, that the response should not just be like, okay. Oh, okay, we can, we can tease that out a bit later on. But I, I would say yes. I would say it's like, yes, for sure. It's not like the color of your hair or the color of your eyes. That's something that the, the couple needs to get together and talk and pray through. For sure, and if somebody's saying they, they, they get ahead of myself here, it's like, oh, it's just it would be unnatural, quote unquote, for us then to do anything about this because it's obviously it's God's will that we're infertile or you're right. infertile. So it's like, therefore, we just believe that that I would disagree strongly with that. Right. Yeah, we looked at it a bit last week too with that, like what what normal things if it's beyond the realm of normal, natural, are you allowed to do it? You know, so we'll look at that again though. Yeah. Anything else? So the hypothesis moving forward is, is something to be overcome, but there's ways to do that by God's grace these days with medicine. Some are appropriate, ethically, morally, some are not. So we need to figure out what's what. Yes. Yep, definitely. Yeah. A feeling of grief, number two, in childlessness. God in his wisdom shows compassion and awareness of the deep grief of childlessness in several passages, such as the stories of Rachel, Hannah. The deep grief that is felt by childless, childless couples must not be minimized or dismissed uh, lightly by other people. Because only women are able to bear and nurse children, this grief can be especially acute for wives due to a sense of loss at not being able to have a jointly conceived child, at not having the experience of pregnancy, at not going through the birth and breastfeeding of a child, and at not being able to serve as a mother for her own children. It's important to recognize that the inability to have children is a difficult trial, a kind of suffering that many couples endure privately. They endure it silently. Uh, uh, Jill and myself, we actually are uh, in the moment going through uh, infertility and uh, seeking medical options. Something that, we, something that we had to do as part of our, as we're looking at adoption, was go through something called PRIDE training. I forget what PRIDE stands for. It's like parents doing something or other. And, uh, but it's actually, so they're, they're kind of setting you up and, and assessing you, are you fit <laughs> to be a parent, an adoptive parent? But everybody in that room, it was very interesting, was coming out of the same background, if, if they were a heterosexual couple, was that we we're infertile. Which was very interesting. It was actually very... Um, it was, it, was, it was nice. Like you're just in a room with like 100 people who they've all been through what you've been through. You, just, you can just speak a shorthand. Oh yeah, I've been, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so, because it, it can be something that's very painful so it's silent, it's private. So Jill and I both really enjoy the experience of being in our private training program. Um, in such situations, scripture passages that deal with trials and suffering I think are very appropriate. 1 Peter 1, 6-9 um, it's also encouraging that for infertile couples to recall that Jesus, Paul, they had no physical children either, but both found great fulfillment in their ministries that God had entrusted to them. They had many spiritual children, right, who had come into the kingdom, 
and were nurtured by their ministries. And the New Testament, just I just want to point this out, several times puts a positive emphasis <clears throat> on spiritual children who are a result of a person's ministry. Paul tells the Corinthian church, I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Uh, he calls the Galatian Christians, my little children. He calls Timothy, my true child in the faith. And he also calls Titus, my true child in a common faith. So just recognize that there is pain with this. Um, at the same time, I think spiritual children can be something we, we need to be thinking about. B, three moral principles to consider in relation to reproductive technology. So it's kind of getting to that big, that big question of Eden and Alicia were talking about. Modern medicine in general is morally good. Modern medicine and medicine in the ancient world, for that matter, can be used to overcome many diseases and disabilities today. We should view it as a good thing, and we should view it as actually something to give thanks to God for. Millie? There's a uh, curious question before we tackle these three moral principles. So you, you quote Jesus and, and, and Paul as an example, but they both, both were, they were single. Yeah. Right. So my question is, um, how do we or should we see a couple and they are fertile? They, they are what, sir? They, they, they don't have the infertility. Okay, issues, yes. Yeah. But they don't want to have children. They don't want to? They, don't want, just, they just don't want to. As a Christian. Yeah, that question I answered last week. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's a big answer, too. So you got to go back and listen to it, okay? It's, okay. it's an important question, but it's, it's going to take us too far afield. We've looked at that for a long time, actually. Yeah. What I'm saying last week, two weeks ago, sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had all this coffee yet, right? <laughs> um, so we should view medicine as a good thing, something for which we can give thanks to God. God put resources in the earth for us to discover and to develop including resources that are useful for medicinal purposes. And he gave us wisdom and a desire to find out these resources and use them. Um, even if you're like, mixing compounds and chemicals in a beaker or whatever, it's, like, it's still all natural stuff. God, it's God's nature that has done this. Um, Jesus' ministry of healing also indicated that God is pleased when we try to help people overcome diseases and disabilities. Luke 4.40 Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. This was a very common pattern, obviously, in Jesus' ministry, and the inclusive nature of the expression, all of those who had any who were sick with various diseases, allows us to suppose that Jesus also healed the infertility of many men and women who had previously been unable to conceive and bear children. You might not think of it in those terms, but there's no reason not to suppose that. Therefore, it seems morally right to support and welcome advances in medicine that today can bring health to people with various diseases and disabilities, including infertility. We're good with that. If you're not good with that, it might be difficult moving ahead. So, moral principle number two, to consider in relation... Uh, in, in relation to reproductive technology, we should treat the unborn child as a human person from the moment of conception. Various passages in Scripture lead us to consider the unborn child as a human person from the moment of conception. Uh, I'm thinking back on the beginning. In thinking back on the beginning of his existence as a sinner, 
David mentioned his sinfulness, even at the moment of his conception. I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Uh, in addition, David said to God, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. In the Old Covenant, if an unborn child died, even because of an accidental injury, the one who caused the unborn child to die was subject to capital punishment. You shall pay life for life, Exodus 21. Jacob and Esau were viewed as two unique children who would become two nations struggling within Rebekah's womb, Genesis 25. And Elizabeth, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, said that the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And surely that's a human action. He leaped for joy. Uh, these passages are all relevant to the question of reproductive technologies because they mean that we should not condone any such technology that will certainly lead to the death of even one unborn child who was conceived when the man's sperm fertilized the woman's egg. The cells began to divide and the human embryo began to grow into a little baby. Again, we've looked at abortion in great detail in previous lessons, so I'm kind of covering the same ground, but I'm assuming we're all on the same ground with that. Life starts at conception. Moral principle number three to consider in relation to reproductive technology, God intends that a child should be conceived by a man and woman who are married to each other. <clears throat> now we're getting into controversial waters here. <laughs> Grudem, Grudem writes this, I affirm this third principle with somewhat more hesitation than the first two, because this principle is not derived from any direct command of Scripture, but rather from a pattern of biblical narratives and probable implications from biblical moral commands about some related topics. Many ethical questions related to reproductive technology have to do with the medical possibility of a woman becoming pregnant even when the child's biological father is not that woman's husband. I mean, that's, that's part of what makes this murky, right? So going to a sperm bank, that, that kind of a thing, right? Uh, but the entire scope of the biblical narratives and biblical moral standards views the situation as contrary to God's intended plan. Uh, that's what Grudem says. What do you think? Okay. Um, so kind of based on this point, someone really did that. I wonder what your thoughts are on what fourth principle, like the principle of abstraction, in the sense that the more that we move away from the, I guess, the normal way of reproduction, the more, I'm not saying it's morally wrong, but the more suspicious we should be, the more the onus is on the party arguing for it. So, I mean, like for instance, I'm, I'm thinking if I like, lose my finger or something like that, if they can sew my finger back on, that's less morally suspect than if they replace it with a cyborg finger, and then kind of applying that principle to Reproduction. We're going to talk about the normal biological stuff in a second. So come, come back to that. I, I think that's going to get answered. Um, I, I think that the three things that he has here kind of covers for that. Are you saying as you come go away from more and more normal or artificial? Yeah. So like, you know, you could make the argument that like if it's in a test tube, yeah. that would be, that's morally worse yeah. than just having... Natural intercourse. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. Because you have to be very careful about how you define normal. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems intuitive to us, but often our intuitions are affected by our culture. So what seems normal to us, but not seen normal to someone who hasn't been here. Yeah, I don't think, I think the children being reproduced by the sexual union of a man and a woman has been yeah. normative regardless of culture. Yeah, I think so it's normative today. Yeah, but there's degrees of intervention. 
Yeah, but then each time you put more and more, right. even like the, 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 the birth control. Yeah. That makes sense. But that goes back to then to number one, where it actually medicine is good, right? And yeah. so like those, those things. So you're right, Quinn. I mean, so we're gonna we're gonna look at all okay. of that stuff. That's I mean, that's the very very issue, and the people argue passionately and strongly for you're getting into artificial. It's artificial insemination. It's not normal or natural insemination. Therefore, that's that could be the whole issue. Um, I, any other thoughts on that before I'm going to tell you what I think about that third point, what Brudem says, but... I think it's so context-specific, like, based on the situation, and, like, there's that specific person's, like, decision to kind of say it's like a woman have kids, but I don't know if I would go so far, like, to say it's con- contrary to, like, God's design, like, I definitely get the pattern, like, you see that in scripture, I think there, there's something lost if you don't have that other parent just so you know, by the way, too, you can say whatever you want in this class. Don't worry about offending me. Because even though, because Jill and I actually are going through things like IVF. So it's like, I mean, that's going to maybe influence if you say something too hard against IVF and say, well, I'm making John look like he's bad. Or like, don't worry about it. We're, I got thick skin. So. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know if this might throw a wrench into this discussion too, but I was secondary and I was I was actually part of this um, weekly post where the question was like, if a Christian woman, single woman, were to desire to be a mother, but actually bypasses, like doesn't want to get married, but just wants to be a mother, is that morally permissible? Right. So we're gonna get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. <clears throat> I agree with Grudem, and look at number three, we're going to actually tweet number three, what it says a little bit later on, to bring some, another aspect into this. God intends that a child should be conceived by a man and woman who are married to each other. I agree, um, he, he says this, he says, I affirm this third principle with somewhat more hesitation. Uh, than the first two, because this principle is not derived from any direct command of Scripture, but rather from a pattern of biblical narratives and probable implications from biblical moral commands about some related topics. At the beginning of creation, God said to Adam and Eve, who were husband and wife, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This verse by itself does not say that no other means of producing children would be pleasing to God, but it is the foundational pattern for marriage in the entire Bible, and is the first instance of the command to be fruitful. Scripture calls Adam and Eve the man and his wife, Genesis 2.25, and uses the relationship between Adam and Eve as the pattern for marriage generally in verse 24. God's repeated commands against adultery, Exodus 20, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 5, Proverbs 6, Matthew 15, Romans 13, James 2, 1 and 2 Peter 2, also support this idea. One reason that sexual intercourse should occur only within the context of marriage one reason is that this guarantees that children will only be conceived by a man and a woman who are married to each other. Jesus' teachings against divorce uh, gave further protection that guaranteed that children would be conceived within marriage. The general principle is, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, Matthew 19.6. The only exceptions where divorce is allowed are cases in which the marriage has been defiled by sexual morality or by desertion due to one of the spouses becoming a Christian and the unbelieving spouse leaving them. But those are intended to be rare situations, and in such cases, the conception of further children would not occur in any case. 
The prohibitions against sexual immorality also seek to ensure that sexual intercourse occurs only within the context of marriage. This would guarantee that children would be conceived only within the context of marriage. Finally, there is no indication anywhere in Scripture that God ever considered it morally right for a child to be conceived by a man and a woman who were not married to each other. This broad pattern of biblical teaching, then, leads me to believe uh, that a child should be conceived by a man and a woman who are married to each other and in no other situation or relationship. Now, I'm going to unpack that more, but that's something I would stick to. Um, but thoughts on that? So this is, I mean, this is going to have implications on single women and all that kind of stuff, but there's also embryo adoption, things like this too. But I'm using the word conception here, right? So, yeah. So, I guess my, my thought is that it should still be seen almost like on a, on a spectrum, really, in terms of, I guess, normative. And we're going to get to that almost coming up next, but... Okay, yeah, but... So I, I guess just my, my thought though would be if you were to say in this case here we can have you can conceive a child through the normal sexual act or you can conceive a child through one of these other means. If you have both of those options, I think it would be normal to say no, you should stick with the. They're not equal in one sense. If you can do this, don't progress to that. So you're saying they have both options, but for the sake of and, and he, just hypothetically, say, oh, okay, and hypothetically you could just normally do this through the sexual act, or you can do artificial insemination. You have no reason to do this. In this case, well, I think you know, no, no, don't, don't go for this. It's only you're progressing in, into less normal. I don't know why you do that, though. It's a thought experiment, though. It's yeah. my, my so, just let's take adoption as an example. Like, what if a Christian couple, and they uh, have couples are? Like, Christians, and they, they are married, to each other, okay. and they don't have infertility yeah. issues. Yeah. But then they said, "We just want to adopt because mm. she, like the woman says, I, I don't want to be pregnant, yeah. or whatever the reason is." So all these good questions we're coming to them. They're all like adoptions in here. Yeah. So it's like I'm, I'm I'm building this up bit by bit, so that actually when the when the bomb drops, it's like, oh, that's why he said that. That's why. It's the, 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 so, should we see this third point that God intends that child should be conceived by the woman or married to each other? As the same principle that God said that He doesn't want to men and women to be alone, so they want them to get married. But but then we have we don't exception like like Paul. So should we see this verse like like the same? So God, God want, wants us to have, uh, uh, to go to the, uh, I will use natural way, I don't mean to offend anyone. But that should be the first option. But if you can, because of infertility issues, then you proceed to the other ones. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not allowing for his hypothesis. <laughs> In a sense where it's, it's actually, it's, it's for, for one thing, just the, Again, I, we, we just get down a rabbit hole here, but too, I'm like, I'm not putting it on a moral scale of actually, that actually having a baby in a test tube, if that's actually a, a husband and a wife, that's her egg, his sperm, that that's morally worse or better or anything else than the other way. 
the, 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 the thought experiment to me doesn't make a lot of sense because it's like, why? I don't understand. So, so, why in the world would you so I have a blow who, 25 grand doing like, I have a friend who's, though, say, scared of the, the sexual act. Okay, well, that's, that's different then. That's, that's the different. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving an example to make yeah. it more, I guess, realistic. Yeah. But then, but then I would approach that from five different directions, and if that's the case, I thought you were just saying hypothetically on a moral scale, it's like, no, there's actually a reason why, through maybe sexual abuse or something, that actually having sexual intercourse is almost an impossibility for somebody. And it's like, there's, there's, there's mental health, there's trauma, there's all this kind of stuff. Is this an option? So that's, I would look at that differently than just saying hypothetically, moving down the moral scale, it's worse to do IVF. Not, not necessarily, let's not say worse, but maybe more suspect. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't go there. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the, I can have all kinds of suspect. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come down like a ton of bricks on all kinds of stuff, but not, not that. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. But we can disagree. This is, this is, this is new stuff. Right? We're gonna get to cloning. Maybe you're like, let's clone everybody. You know, it's like I'm not saying that. But there's no like, you know, encyclical coming out of like the Protestant <laughs> church saying this is what you got to do. Um, some modern reproductive technologies are morally acceptable, point C. Um, the general category for various medical methods to help people have children is assisted reproductive technology, abbreviated ART. So I'm going to consider some specific kinds of modern assisted reproductive technology in light of the three moral principles we've just discussed. So just a reminder, modern medicine in general is morally good. We should treat the unborn child as a human person from the moment of conception. God intends that a child should be conceived by a man and woman who are married to each other. That's, those are my, that's my premise moving forward. These three principles give us a useful perspective from which we can conclude that some kinds of reproductive technology are morally acceptable. Others are not. But it all comes back to those three. Artificial insemination by husband, A-I-H. The process of artificial insemination by husband does not violate any of the principle, biblical principles named above. It simply enables a wife to become pregnant by her husband's sperm when, for some reason, it is physically unlikely or impossible for this to happen through ordinary sexual intercourse. The husband's sperm is first collected and then injected into the woman's cervix or uterus. The child is conceived by and born to a man and a woman who are married to each other. No unborn human person or embryo is destroyed in the process, and the wonderful result is that infertility is overcome for this couple. Number two, in vitro fertilization without destruction of embryos. In vitro fertilization, abbreviated IVF, is the process of joining together a woman's egg, ovum, and a husband's sperm in a laboratory rather than inside a woman's body. The Latin phrase in vitro, do you know what that means? In glass. Very interesting. Evangelical Christians differ on the moral acceptability of this procedure. Some evangelicals argue that in vitro fertilization is always morally unacceptable. Thoughts on that? I can give you my own thoughts. Uh, even, even for the first one, too, artificial insemination by husband. Oh, I'm sorry. You to say oh, that. I guess I was going to say that. Maybe I misread it, but I thought I read that in the Sally's book. I was like, whoa! But I don't know. Anyways, it was wrong. Yeah. 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 The sperm get collected from the man. Like, is it through masturbation? Yes. 
but we talked about masturbation a few Sunday schools ago, mm-hmm. meaning that it was not morally permissible. How does that work in this case? It was morally permissible within a certain context, though. So if you want to masturbate in a marriage relationship with your spouse in that context, in a, in a marriage bed, in that sense, like as a sexual act, it's not, it's, it, the act itself, masturbation, is not sin. I didn't know that. Yes. That, that was mentioned. In the movie. There was no Q&A. That was the problem. <laughs> you didn't ask that question. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, just, it's not like, oh, you just performed a sexual act. Um, in the presence of, uh, there, there's, there's ways to kind of unpack that, you know, distance and all that kind of stuff too. But actually, the act itself isn't morally sin to masturbate. Okay. Yeah, there's all ways you can do that. It is sinful. It's actually, it's adultery. Actually, it's the, the phys- you don't understand. I'm making this between the physical acts yeah. of doing that as opposed to what you're thinking about, how, what you're looking at, all that kind of thing. The act itself isn't sin, though. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there's, if there's issues, if there's a conscience issue with that kind of thing, it's actually, you're a perfect, I can, you, can, you can bring your wife into the back room, so, you know, okay. in the hospital. That's, right. that's totally allowed. Okay, because I guess when you were, when you were all reading through Tim Chalice's article, I don't recall any qualifications to masturbation. That's why I'm a little bit surprised. No, he, there is a qualification. There was, okay. Yeah. I, was, I knew this was coming up, so I decided to put it in there. And then there's a kind of Q&A at the end where I said, what if I'm in the army, I'm in Saudi Arabia for the next two years, am I allowed to masturbate? Thinking about my wife. That was the other thing. But we didn't get to that part. But even the part that we did read, um, okay. there's actually, he says explicitly, this, it's not like a physical act itself. You can't, it's hard to think of a physical act itself that's actually with your, you know, with your, with your spouse who's willing and wants to do it. That's actually, oh, that's sin. But I wouldn't point to something and say, oh, masturbation itself in that context is sin. I hope, I, I hope I'm being clear. I'm not like stumbling on something here. But... Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to it. It was in there explicitly. Yeah. Like he actually says, like, the moral. You, you understand the context within a certain kind of context, though, right? I don't remember it either, though. I, I remember it very clearly because I knew this was coming up. So I, was, I was anticipating this question. So. Maybe this was uh, the week that we went here. No, it was the, it was the masturbation thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to go back and ask. Yeah. Okay. It's like, it's like saying oral sex is sin. It's like, it's not. Masturbation itself, in a certain kind of marital context, is not sin. The act itself. The physical act is not sin. You can be thinking all kinds of you. You can be having sex with your wife, and be thinking of other women. You know that's sin, right? You know what I mean. So it's actually the physical act of masturbation is can be a healthy part of someone's sex life. But actually, you know, I don't remember getting into lots of details here, but you know what I mean. He Charlie's qualifies it. Okay. Yeah. I think it's there isn't a physical act in sex that's that's morally wrong. I think this is also because of growing up, like, masturbation was just sin, period. Yeah. So there was no qualification. In the marriage context, it's not. See, I didn't know that. But it can be. But it can be. Certainly it can be. Yeah. yeah. So I need, I need to uh, think a, a little bit more about that. Yes. Yeah. And listen to that. Yeah. Um, my own position is that, in principle, there should be no moral objections to in vitro fertilization according to scriptural standards as long as no human embryos are destroyed in the process. 
because it's once again simply enabling an infertile husband and wife to have children and thereby overcoming their infertility by means of modern medicine. Someone might object that this is not the natural process of conception through sexual intercourse, though uh, through sexual intercourse that God intended, but such an argument must assume a definition of natural that arbitrarily excludes modern medical means from what we consider part of nature. Is not the laboratory equipment that is used for an in vitro fertilization also made from resources that God planted in the earth? Are not the medical researchers and medical technicians with all their wisdom and skill part of God's creation also? To cite another analogy, consider a woman who uses a modern thermometer to take her body temperature every day in order to find out the best time to have intercourse so she'll be able to conceive a child. Is this an unnatural process because she uses a modern medical thermometer in order to know what she is, when she is ovulating? Surely not. Surely that's okay. The thermometer is made from part of the natural world that God created. Similarly, consider a husband who uses Viagra or a similar modern medicine to overcome erectile dysfunction so that he and his wife can have intercourse and conceive a baby. Is that process to be rejected as unnatural because he is using modern medicine to overcome his medical problem? I would argue surely not. The Viagra is made from materials that God placed in the natural world and so is also part of nature considered in a broad sense. Therefore, there seems to be no valid reason to reject in vitro fertilization on the grounds that it's not part of the natural process that God established for the conception of children. Again, the essential considerations in this issue are all satisfied. Modern medicine is used to overcome a disability. An unborn child, children's lives are, are, are not being destroyed. This, and the child is conceived by a man and woman who are married to each other. Uh, however, in vitro fertilization is often carried out in a way that destroys multiple human embryos and therefore wrongfully results in the destruction of human life. But before I get to that, just questions about anything I just said there. Yeah, yeah I, I, I understand what you're saying. It still seems though that there's a categorical, categorical distinction between taking a Viagra pill versus now IVF, which I think should be somewhat accounted for. Don't say anyone's wrong or right, but if you say, hey, you can conceive a child with you, you know, you need to drink some more orange juice versus going straight to IVF, right? This is like, yes. these are two different moral... So it's, it's all going back to those three, those three things, though, right? So like that, well, we're moving ahead on this, or I am, okay. based on those three distinctions. So as long as those, things, those conditions are always satisfied, then I'm arguing it's, it's morally okay. Okay, but I'm, I'd say the difference between morally okay versus still... Different cat do we recognize different categories? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. you're right. Take, drinking orange juice or doing more push-ups. Yeah, <laughs> you know, as opposed to actually in a class. You know, that's those are that's a, it's a degree for sure. Yeah, and yeah. so because I'm thinking also like now with you know artificial wounds and stuff like this, <laughs> we're, we're, we're saying yes, two different ways of doing this. But I think if you can do it this way, you should do it this way. If not, then maybe consider this one. This is still though a lot more moral. Consideration. I'm not coming at this into the consideration of infertility. It's not just random hypothetical, can we clone a human being or a tube. It's actually couples who are facing infertility and the pain of that, actually just, just living in a, in, a, in a church context where your brothers and sisters actually are going through IVF. And that it might be something that you guys have to consider. It's possible. It's actually each person will come to their own conclusion. There will be difference of conscience on this. But I'm just pastorally, my counsel to everybody would be as long as it follows those three conditions, Pastorally, I'm not going to bother uh, coming to you and saying, I think you need to reconsider. There's all kinds of ways to actually do this in ways where I would get in your face and say, that is not biblical. 
uh, that's not wise. You're, you're having, why did you just create 50 embryos and you're going to take two? That's totally sinful. That's wrong. Those embryos are going to be destroyed. Um, that kind of thing. So, but I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to those three essential considerations. And based on that, well, you'll either agree with me or not. It's okay to disagree. But. I guess my, my feeling is that I agree with that in principle, and that there are some key ways. But then it's important to consider the whole context of how these things work, like the industry, right? Mm. So maybe there's a way of making the industry, you know, a, like a, a, an IVF sort of process which is fully in, you know, in line with these things. Um, but the wider sense of like how this works in society, what it what create expectations it creates, what Yes. Yeah. You're right. And, and you're participating in a system where you're, you'll be the outlier if you're a conscientious Christian on this. And that's something actually we said to our doctors as well. We've said all through the process that we're, we're massively handicapping this whole process and your success rates because of how we're, go- we're going to be doing this. We refuse to do this, 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 and this. We're going to do this instead. It's like, well, that's not going to work probably very well, as well as it could be if you do this instead. It's like, that's, that's fine. That's what we're going to do. And, but you're part of a system, though, that's discarding these embryos at a rate of I don't know how many a day. But you're in that system doing that. You know, you're, you're, you're part of that. Part of. Does your conscience allow you to do that? It's like, no, the whole thing is evil from start to finish. And therefore, even if we're being careful with how many embryos we create and how we go about this, we can't, we can't be part of this because they, they are killing babies. So that's something to work through. Um, I was going to say one more thing. We have one more minute here. In vitro fertilization is often carried out in a way that destroys multiple human embryos and therefore wrongly results in the destruction of human life. This happens because in order to increase the probability of pregnancy, more of the wife's eggs may be fertilized in laboratory equipment that are actually implanted in her womb. In most cases, couples going through in vitro fertilization where multiple embryos are created can indicate one of the following options for the handling of any remaining embryos. Freezing um, of unimplanted embryos for use by the couple in any future treatment cycles. Two, anonymously donating the embryos for use by other infertile couples. We'll talk about that about adoption in a minute, embryo adoption. Actually, not in a minute, in a month. <laughs> Allowing the embryos to develop in the laboratory until they perish, at which, at which time they are discarded, which is usually within six to eight days of collection. Uh, the fertilized, so um, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to leave that. But we're getting into a very important territory here with actually the success rate and uh, natural success rate too, which you'd be surprised how many... Um, we just be, might be surprised at those figures. So we're gonna we'll look at this in a month from now because it's a heavy, heavy topic. It's very important to consider too. So, all right, thanks, guys.